This is episode number 101 with Ryan Holiday. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Ryan Holiday is a strategist and writer, and he dropped out of college at 19 to apprentice under Robert Greene, the author of The 48 Laws of Power, and later served as the director of marketing for American Apparel. His company, Brass Check, has advised clients like Google, Taser and Complex, as well as many prominent best-selling authors. He has also written eight books, the most recent being The Obstacle is the Way, which is an amazing book and has been translated into 17 languages and has a cult following among NFL coaches, world-class athletes, TV personalities, political leaders, and others around the world. And in today's episode, we chat about his journey from dropping out of college to where he is today, being the successful writer that he is today. What is stoicism and how to apply it to your everyday life? How to let go of control and move through grief and turn your trials into triumphs. We also chat about the two Stoic principles that have profoundly inspired him. What is calendar anorexia? How to quit people-pleasing? The best life hack, according to Ryan? The Stoic philosophy on gratitude? Plus, so much more. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 101. And before we dive into today's episode, I want to read the review of the week, and that comes from Chloe Munro. And she says, Melissa's podcasts, books, and meditations have changed my life for the better. Her authenticity is so refreshing, and watching her consistency in all parts of her life is nothing less than inspiring. I recommend this podcast to anyone who wants to live a life full of potential and authenticity in today's modern world as she makes all of this simple and enjoyable. Thank you so much, Chloe. That is so beautiful and I'm so grateful. And if you want to be the review of the week next week, don't forget to leave me a review. And without further ado, let's bring on this epic human, the one and only Ryan Holiday. Ryan, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? I did not have breakfast this morning, unfortunately. I just had an early lunch. Sounds good. Sounds good. Now, I would love to hear about your story and your journey and how you got to where you are today. At some point in college, I decided that I I wanted to if not be a writer, be around writers. And I, I loved reading. And I, the idea that someone got to write things for a living just seemed like the absolute dream. 
And so I used my college newspaper. I started interviewing writers or reaching out to to people or websites that I, I thought were cool that I would have no other way to get in touch with. And um, that led to an internship, which led to a job as a research assistant with a different writer, which led to a, a stint as a marketer for a, a, a number of big brands, which led to in 2011, I, I sort of walked away from all that. And I started working on on my first book. And since then, I've somewhat unbelievably done eight books that have been now translated in something like 30 different languages. That's pretty amazing. And where did the stoicism come into it? Somewhat early in that process, uh, still in college, working for these writers. And, and somebody said, hey, I think you should check out this uh, ancient philosophy. And, and I did. I, I, I picked up a, a book called the, the Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, who was the emperor of Rome. And he wrote this little, I guess you could almost call it a self-help book. And it, it was literally written to himself, right? It's his notes on how to be better, how to control his temper, how to handle stress, how to deal with his fear of death. Um, and this, this book, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And then as it would happen, you know, I, I, I dropped out of college. I had these stressful sort of high pressure jobs. Um, I ended up, you know, running marketing for a publicly traded company by the time I was about 21 or 22. And, and so stoicism is really designed to be a philosophy that helps people with, uh, stressful situations, with the, the, the difficulties of, of daily life, really. And so, um, it was this thing that I turned to over and over again. And then when it came time to think about my second book, I mean, it, it was just really obvious to me that that's what I had to write about. So for someone who's never heard of Stoicism, can you explain what it is and how we can apply it to our everyday life? We would say that Stoicism is a practical philosophy. It's not philosophy you learn about in college that asks these sort of difficult, complicated questions about the universe, although maybe there's, there's little bits and pieces of that. What it's really about is helping you live what they would call the good life. My sort of quick, uh, straightforward definition of Stoicism that I like is that um, a Stoic believes they don't control the world around them, but they always control how they respond to the world around them. And that this sort of narrowing in of our focus and zooming in on our choices and our decisions, and most importantly, our thoughts is essential. So Epictetus, one of the Stoic philosophers, he would say, it's not things that upset us, it's our judgment about things. And I think that really sums up stoicism at its core level. It's, you know, events are objective, but then we have opinions about those events. And those are, those are often the source of our misery. You know, we, we think that we've been treated horribly unfair, that we're not good enough, um, that we're screwed, you know, that, that someone was very rude to us. And the truth is these are opinions. Um, and, and if we can limit these so, sort of destructive opinions, we will not only be happier, but then we can focus all that energy on responding, on dealing with what is in our control, which is our, our choices. What are we going to do with this objective fact? I love that it focuses on the things that you can control and you let go of everything else. But this may feel really challenging for, say, someone listening who is a quote-unquote control freak or controlling type of 
person, why is it imperative that we stop trying to control these things that we can't control? Because what is it doing to us, really? I think it's it's difficult for everyone, right? Control freak or not, it's very difficult. Like we know that there's, it's hard to argue with the idea that we don't control what happens, but we control how we respond. But it's very difficult to practice it, and that's why you know Alcoholics Anonymous, for instance, loves the Serenity Prayer, right? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The idea that let me take the things that are within my control and focus exclusively on them and accept the things that are outside of my control. But this is a practice and we need support. We need sort of rituals around it. It it is extremely difficult. But what you do is the more you work at it, the longer you stay at it, you get better. Viktor Frankl, the, the Holocaust survivor, he would say, that between stimulus and response, there is a space. And he says, it's in that space that we sort of decide who we are. And so the idea is to sort of slow things down and to elongate that space as much as possible. So, you know, you're stuck in traffic and your immediate reaction is like this, I'm upset, this is, you know, this makes me angry, I don't have time for this. And go, okay, because feeling that way alleviate traffic? Does it speed traffic up? No. Then why am I just going to... I'm already going to spend 40 minutes in the car, uh, not by choice. But does being upset during those 40 minutes make them go by faster? Does it make me feel better? So on and so forth. Or, you know, somebody uh, calls you a, a horrible name, or you find out they've been talking behind your back. Well, those things don't matter so far as you decide they matter to you. So if someone says something offensive to you, well, really, they just said words, and then you chose to view them as offensive, right? If you saw them as a joke, or you didn't hear them, it wouldn't have affected you in any way. And so, again, it's sort of slowing these things down, looking at them as logically as you can. You're going to have a reaction, I think, instinctively to things. But it's about sort of making sure that you don't necessarily just give in to that instinctual reaction every time. I love that. And is this something that you are actively mindful of throughout your day? And how has these stoic philosophies changed your life? I certainly try to be. uh, But again, I I fall short like everyone else. And so, you know, the Stoics believe that there was this such thing as a sage. And the sage was the person who'd sort of achieved all these things. But they basically believed that it was impossible, that, that, that this was something we work at and we inch our way towards, but we probably never actually reach. It's just, it's about the trying. And so, yeah, look, every day we wake up and we face things that don't go the way we want them to go, right? You wake up and your email inbox is 40 emails longer than you want it to be. Or you wake up and somebody broke into your car. Or you woke up and you don't feel well. You know, these are all, or you, you wake up and there's some problem that you have to deal with at work. These are things that are more or less outside of your control. And, and there are things that, frankly, all those things have happened to me in the last week or so. And I'm not saying I responded perfectly, but what I try to do is go, okay, what is this? Why do I feel the way that I feel about it? What am I going to do about it? And for the most part, and, and I think this is always an important question to ask, does being angry or being hurt or being sad, or whatever, does it make this better in any way? And very rarely is the answer to that question, yes. So it's really about 
being more mindful and less reactive. Absolutely. It's not that all emotions are bad. It's that we tend, we have a number of emotions that are destructive or unhelpful. And it's about parsing those two things, parsing them from each other and making sure that when you are reacting, it's the right reaction. And, um, and, and yeah, not being led around. You know, it's funny. We have the, the you know, we, everyone talks about passion, right? I want to find passion. I want to find my passion. I want to hire passionate people. Ironically, the Stoics talked about the passions, like plural, as being a bad thing, um, that people were sort of ruled by their passions. So, you know, something would go wrong and the, the person ruled by their passions would get, you know, would lose their temper and go on a tirade or, um, you know, someone who is ruled by fear would have trouble, you know, getting up and speaking in front of a crowd because they were worried about being laughed at or mocked. And and so again, all of these are just these are very natural human things, but that doesn't mean they're good. And 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 if we're ruled by them, if those things dictate what we do and don't do, we're not going to be as successful as we can be, uh, which is I think important. But more importantly, we're not going to be happy. No person is happy who is ruled entirely by their emotions. They might feel good a good chunk of the time, but when they feel bad, they feel really bad. Yeah. I was just reflecting personally and when things that I'm trying to control in my own life or when things happen in my life, like, you know, I wake up and there's something that I've got to deal with. For me, what's really helped is awareness. Like that's kind of the first step in going, oh, okay, I'm re- I'm about to react to this or I feel angry about this or I'm trying to control this situation. I feel like for me personally, awareness is the first step because then I can make the next decision, whether I'm going to react or whether I'm going to, you know, let it control me and and spiral down into anger or or frustration. Do you think whenever we've got these trials, these obstacles, wherever we've got these places, do you think awareness is the first step? Yes, uh, absolutely. You know, Epictetus, who, in addition to being a Stoic philosopher, was a former slave. He was a slave who was given his freedom. And so he comes to this philosophy, you know, having experienced, you know, sort of incredible difficulty in his life. And he says that we're supposed to take an impression or uh, an emotion. And he says, like, hold it up and put it to the test. So I think Part of that goes to what you're saying, which is like, don't just feel things, understand and appreciate what you're feeling. So then you can examine it and decide whether it's healthy or unhealthy. So grief, grief is a natural part of life. We all experience it. But if sort of left unchecked, we could lose months or years of our life. And so the stoic is sort of putting this grief up and saying, you know, why do I feel this way? What am I really so upset about? Would the person that I'm mourning want me to feel this way? What is this feeling adding to my life? You know, is it positive or is it negative in that sense? And then taking some level of control or agency and going, oh, I don't, I don't need to be, I don't need to be jerked around by my emotions to the degree that most people seem to be. Yeah, I'm curious to hear. There's someone in my life that I know who has recently lost a teenage child due to very traumatic circumstance. And the mother doesn't want to stop grieving. What do their Stoics say about that? 
Here's what's so incredible about stoicism, and and you almost get goosebumps thinking about it. It's like, so here's that tragic situation that your friend is undergoing. And it's not as if that is a new situation. I mean, um, Seneca, not only does he, as far as we understand, lose his own young child at some point in his life, but he uh, he writes one of his most famous essays. It's called Consolation. And it's an essay to um, a friend of his who had recently lost her father. And she is crippled by grief. The, the grief has, has dragged on for many, many months. And he writes this long, thoughtful essay um, that's sort of to her and to everyone in this situation. Sort of what he's, what he's saying is, so you've lost this person. And, and I get that that's painful, but let's think about it. If there's no afterlife, then this person is, is simply gone, right? They, they're, they're no longer with us. They're not in any pain. Um, that they've, they've simply uh, ceased to be. And, um, and, and that's sad, but it, it's not as if, you know, they're in pain somewhere, right? Um, and then he says, on the other hand, if they're still alive, if they're in heaven somewhere or they're floating around or, you know, any, any one of our ideas about the afterlife, if they're still able to see you or see what you're experiencing or hear about it, the last thing this person would want would for would be for you to be in pain, right? Like if this person loves you and they're as, you know, worthy of mourning as you think they are. The the weird part about it is that that's the last thing that if I died, the last thing I would want would it would be for it to ruin my son's life or my wife's life, right? I would want them to be happy. I would not want them to, you know, pretend I never existed, but of course I would want them to uh, because I love them, I would want them to be happy. And so he sort of walks her through very thoughtfully why uh, this person wouldn't want her to feel the way that she was feeling. And then he says, let's say it just is a tragedy that you lost this person, um, that they were taken from you unfairly. Why would you add to that the loss of months or years of your own life? Like, why would you, tor- like, if, if, you know, if I came and I burnt your garage down, you wouldn't light your house on fire, right? You would not take one punishment and add on top of it additional punishment. And in a way, that's what, you know, sort of extended, unending, ceaseless grief is. It's kind of a self-torture. We are saying, I'm not worthy of being alive because I've lost this other person. I'm never going to be happy again. Life has no meaning, so on and so forth. Um, and so he just very thoughtfully walks her through this whole process. And what's so crazy is that He's clearly writing from experience. You know, he's lost many of his friends and family members. He's lost his own child. And this essay survives over 2000 years old. We can just read this essay as if, you know, you sent it to your friend as an email in 2018. I just think that's so incredible. Now, again, all of this is simple uh, and pretty straightforward. It's extremely difficult to do. Um, and it takes practice. And, and Seneca himself would say that we have instinctive reactions to things, right? Like, he says, if, if I dump a cold bucket of water on you, uh, you're going to shiver. That's going to make you cold. However, after a certain point, you can take back control of yourself. And I think that's the stoic idea towards grief. It's not that you should experience no grief, that stoicism is the absence of grief. It's that it keeps that grief uh, to, be, to be reasonable and contained. And then we go on and we continue to live our lives because we don't really have a choice. I love that. I love that analogy with the bucket of water. 
it's like, yeah, you're not saying, well, that's not cold. That that didn't shock me. Of course it's cold. And of course it's going to give you a shock. But it's like, okay, do I keep holding on to that or do I, you know, get warm again and move on with my life? That's exactly right. At a certain point, you regain control if you so choose. I love that so much. What are some other stoic principles that you've implemented in your life and have really had a profound effect on you? I'll give you two, and they're actually sort of related to the grief thing. So there's sort of two uh, stoic exercises, and and they're sort of Latin names. So one is memento mori, um, which is this idea of meditating and thinking about the fact that we are all mortal people, right? That uh, none of us are going to live forever. And in fact, we don't choose, uh, you know, aside from suicide, we don't choose how long we will live for, right? Any of us can be taken at any moment. And so we should live while we can, that time is our most precious resource and that we, we cannot afford to waste it. And so the Stoics are saying that we should think about death constantly, not in a morbid way, but in kind of an inspiring way that we should live uh, each day to the fullest, that we should uh, wrap up our business every day, we should not leave things undone, that we should say, hey, I'm going to do great today um, because it might be my last day. I'm not going to live, you know, I'm not going to go to an orgy or something, but I'm going to live as if I don't know how much time I have left. And then uh, this is related to a, a stoic exercise called Primitatio Malorum, which stands for a premeditation of evils. And Seneca would say sort of that surprise blows la- land the, the hardest, right? So he's basically saying that you don't want to be caught by surprise by things. The Stoics should be thinking in advance of all the things that can be happening. Not Again, not in an anxious way, but that we, we don't live in a fantasy world. So most extremely, uh, one of the Stoic philosophers talks about when you tuck your child in at night, you should kiss them in the forehead and go, um, you know, to yourself, this might be the, the last time that I see you. You, you could pass away in the night. So th- the idea is not, again, not to be morbid, but to, rem- to, to, to use that as a way of checking yourself to say, Hey, uh, I need to make sure I experience this moment that I'm not on my phone while I'm doing this, that I'm not rushing through it, that I'm not taking it for granted because I don't know if I, We'll be able to take it for granted again in the future. And then again, because we've gone through this exercise, nothing should completely shock us in life. That even the bad things we've at least halfway considered. And so by by doing this, we put ourselves in a position to not be surprised. And ideally, we're pleasantly surprised when that bad thing that we've considered doesn't happen, rather than the other way around, how most people are which is that they're shocked. You know, they hear about tragedies happening in other people's families. They hear that they see that coworkers get fired all the time or, you know, that uh, weather strikes and, you know, ruins someone's house. They know this happens objectively, but we tell ourselves it will never happen to us. And then we are, you know, heartbroken when it does. And so the Stoic works to prepare themselves and sort of puts up armor in defense of that possibility. Yeah, I think that is such an important thing to bring up because in 2015, my best friend passed away. And up until that moment, I had never really contemplated death. I'd never thought about it. I'd never had anyone really close to me pass away. And 
since then, it has been on my mind and not, like you said, like not in a morbid way, but it really has inspired me to live every day to the absolute fullest and make sure that I am squeezing the most juice out of life and every single day. So you can choose not to look at it in this morbid, dark way. It's like, am I living to the best of my ability today? And I love that that is something that's really inspired you about this philosophy. Yeah. And, and look, I think it reminds you to be in the present moment. You know, my neighbor uh, here in Austin, he lives down the street from me. He's 112 years old. And, um, and, and, and so I, sometimes I go and see him. I actually went and saw him yesterday. And, and so I, I remember asked, I said, you know, when you get that old, do you just take it day by day? Um, you know, and he said, no, you, you, he said, you take it day by night. Um, that you don't take even the next day for granted. You just, He's like, you know, I'm alive in the morning, I'm alive at night, you know, all is good. And you just sort of exist in the present moment in that way. Um, and I think that's really important. Um, and, and part of what sort of Memento Mori does is it roots us in the present and it says, look, I'm not going to blow this off because I think that in six months I'll still be around and handle and can handle it then. It says, look, I might never get to talk to this person again. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a second and appreciate it and be here now. And and then I'm going to wrap it up and I'm going to move on to the next thing. I love it. I love it. It's something that I'm really mindful of every single day. And yeah, thank you for reminding us of that. One of the things that you touched on before is how the Stoics believe that time is really precious. And I loved so much the article that you wrote about calendar anorexia. I love this concept so much. I was laughing out loud. My husband and I were laughing so much reading this post. But for someone who has never heard of the concept of calendar anorexia, can you please tell us what it is? Yeah, sorry. I, I know it's a somewhat un- insensitive term because uh, that anorexia is a real thing that, that many, many people, mainly women, suffer from. But my reason for using it is saying that I, I try to be extremely controlling uh, over what goes into my calendar. And I try to consume as few calories, so to speak, as humanly possible, uh, almost paranoidly so. Um, because uh, as they say, time is the only non- renewable resource, right? So, you know, compared to real anorexia, you know, you could, if you ate 100 calories, it's not that hard to go burn 100 calories. If you burn 100 minutes, there's no way to get 100 minutes back, right? You have a finite amount of time here on on this planet. And and, and so sort of uh, what Seneca says, and I, I think I quote him in the article, um, he's saying that, you know, if if our neighbor... Uh, started moving their fence line onto our property and essentially stealing our property. We'd be like, how dare you? And we'd stop it immediately. We'd hire a lawyer, right? We'd put up a wall, whatever. Um, but if your neighbor came over and just wasted an hour of your time, just, you know, talking about whatever, and he wouldn't leave and you were afraid to be rude to ask them to leave or tell them that you have to leave, um, you would somehow let that happen. And it's, we have a strange relationship with time. We believe that life is short, Seneca says, and yet we waste incredible amounts of that life. And so what I was trying to talk about in the article is just why I'm protective of my calendar, why I try to um, only do things that I, I want to do that I think are important to do, that move the ball forward in the way that I want it to go. 
Um, and I, I don't let, I try not to let people pressure me into, into, uh, you know, abandoning that. Oh, it's tricky. It's so tricky. I heard this from Tim Ferriss years ago on a podcast. I remember him saying something like whenever he's feeling stressed or overwhelmed, the first thing he does is he goes into his calendar and he literally deletes or moves things and and does a little bit of a clean out. And that's something that I've employed over the past couple of years. Like as soon as I start feeling overwhelmed or anxious, I open my calendar on my computer and I'm just like delete, move, reschedule, get rid of everything. But before I know it, you know, I look at my week next week and I have like a mini heart palpitation. And I'm like, why have I done this? Like, what, you know, what can I move? What can I get rid of? What can I rain check? And it's not like you say in the article, it's not about being rude. It's just about how can I create more white space for my best work, for my creativity, for the things that are going to move the needle forward. You know, what is your advice for for that? Because I know a lot of people, especially women, really struggle with this because there's that whole people pleasing and wanting to put everyone else before ourselves. So how can we do this? Well, I think a couple of things. So one I think is that that stoic idea, like, okay, so you let your calendar get where it was getting. That's not great, but that's happened. So what are you going to do about it, right? Like you don't have to leave it. If it's making you anxious and it's causing problems, you don't have to leave it there. And and I think one of the things that's been great for me having a having a family now is that you know before I was I was like you said like a people pleaser. If it's hard to say no, it hurts to say no, and or it feels like you're hurting someone else. And so you'd rather hurt yourself than hurt someone else. And so you you say yes even if you don't want to go get coffee. Or you don't want to do extra work on a project that you're not being paid for, or whatever. And what I realized is that I'm not hurting myself by doing it when I don't want to do it. I'm hurting the other people that I've already promised that time to. Right? I my 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 time. You know, when I'm not working, my time goes to my son and to my wife. And so for me to just give that away to people, even if those are nice people. I'm stealing that from someone. And so seeing it that way has been very helpful. And then I also see it as a business. You know, for instance, like the way my business works, I, I do a lot of consulting over the phone. Like people have problems or advice uh, for marketing things and, and, and they, they hire me to sort of walk them through solutions. So I get paid to be on the phone. So when some random person emails me and says, Hey, I'd love to get on the phone and kick things around with you for 30 minutes. I go, well, that's not fair. Right. I just charged so and so, you know, uh, a lot of money to, to do a, an hour phone call. It wouldn't be ethical or right for me to turn around and just give it to you for free. And so having these sort of policies, uh, has been very helpful. Um, and, and, and allowed me to sort of countermand my, my sort of original impulses in a way that's been, uh, that's been really good. It's like setting these healthy boundaries within yourself. Yes. And it's giving hard and fast rules. Like, okay, I don't get on the phone uh, unless I'm getting paid, you know, 98% of the time, or I don't agree to random coffee meetings um, or whatever. I don't do it. I say no to almost all podcast interviews or whatever. I you have some rules and then that allows you to countermand your impulse. And I'm curious to know, does any guilt come up for you? I do feel guilt. 
but I would rather feel guilty saying no to a complete stranger or someone who I feel like may be sort of pushing on my boundaries than feel guilty, you know, not being home for dinner. Yeah. It's something that, you know, I just observe the guilt when it comes up because it sometimes does, it does come up and I'm, and I try and observe it and not buy into the story and just go, oh, that's interesting and kind of let it go. Yeah. Look, you're making a choice. You're making a hard choice. You're not going to please everyone. So I don't necessarily feel guilty that I did not please everyone. I might feel not good about it, but yeah, as you say, you sort of observe it and you become okay with it. Yeah. I love that. That is something that I am consciously mindful of and going to keep working on. Another article that I loved that you wrote a while back was about the best life hack. And you say the best life hack is the perfect spouse. And I absolutely agree with you on this one. So can you talk a little bit about this? Sure. I mean, I I think what I was trying to write in that article is sort of a reaction against this, I think, all too common entrepreneurial idea that like being in a relationship holds you back. Or, you know, people, someone's so in love with their art or their music or their passion or whatever. I don't have time for a relationship. I just hate that idea. First off, because many of the most talented, you know, uh, successful, amazing people who've ever lived were in wonderful relationships. And the idea that you're somehow more special than them uh, just strikes me as preposterous. But I actually feel that like having, you know, I've been with my wife since before I, you know, sort of really published my first word as a writer, definitely before my first book, but I mean, before I even sort of posted my first word on the internet. And she was the one that encouraged me to do that, that has pushed me that in, in times where I've wanted to say no, or I was afraid she was the one that sort of pushed me to be better and to bet on myself. And so I think that's an important part of it. And I think you're better off having a partner, you know, and I'm, this, this isn't, you, you have to get married. I think you should just have a partner of some kind who's sort of, you know, ride or die with you. I think that's really important. And, and it's certainly been a competitive advantage for me to say nothing of it, you know, making me happy and, and all the fun we've had. It's also just been a plain competitive advantage or, you know, we're a team. Yeah. Cause I've heard it a lot as well from creatives and entrepreneurs. It's like, I don't have time, you know, I'm too focused on my work, but I loved this article that you wrote. And we can link to it in the show notes for anyone who wants to read it because it's really powerful. Yeah. And look, if you're not in a relationship, you're still going to have to go out and meet people. You know, like it still takes time to go to bars or, you know, swipe on Tinder or something. So I think people are, I think people are, what they're actually saying is that I'm afraid to be vulnerable and dependent on another person um, because I've been hurt before or because, you know, I'm afraid of letting my guard down or whatever. Um, which are all totally legitimate reasons, but just don't don't say it's because you don't have time. That's, I think that's ridiculous. Mm. So, what do you attribute your success to? A lot of things, you know, luck obviously being a big one. Uh, you know, the, the sort of tropes of of hard work and good planning and all these things. But I think I'm, you know, I'm largely a, a product of the mentors that I've had who sort of guided me and have opened up doors for me. I don't think I would be here with with without having you know, worked for a number of really great writers who, in in exchange for the work that I did, you know, sort of guided me along the path. So important. And whether that's mentors in your work, your health, your fitness, you know, I am such a big 
advocate for 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 getting mentors. So I love that you mentioned that. Right. No, look, uh, Tiger Woods has a golf coach, you know, (laughs) everyone needs a coach and a mentor and someone to guide them along. Do you still have mentors now? Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, it's less formal, right? It's less regular, but there are tons of people that I look up to that I ask, you know, I just, uh, I just actually, you know, you mentioned Tim Ferriss, Tim, Tim lives here in Austin and, you know, we had dinner on Sunday and, you know, we probably hung out for about five hours. And I asked him just, you know, a million questions about he's, he's a little bit older than me. He's been in the positions that I've been. He's been at turning points that I've been at. And so, I, you know, I just asked him a bunch of questions. And so it's not an official thing where, you know, he would say that I'm his protege or I would say he's my mentor. But he certainly provided the service of mentoring that evening and gave me a bunch of advice that I'm, you know, in the middle of working through. and and and. And better for having gotten. You can be mentored by somebody who's dead. You know, you can read a book or watch a video or, you know, read a talk that they gave. So true. Do you mentor other people? I do. I do. Again, it's not necessarily a formal thing. I try to answer the emails that people send me. Obviously, I think as a writer, this is partly my job is to sort of collect and pass on knowledge. But I have a research assistant now, you know, basically had the same job that I had for a writer. Um, who's sort of on his way to bigger and better things. And now you know, I'm in the process, who, who do I want to work with next? And that's sort of how it goes. And, and so hopefully over the course of a long career in life, you know, knock on wood, all that'll happen many times. Yeah, I love that. Now, I'm curious to know, what is something that is bringing you the most joy in your life right now? I mean, I've got a, a you know, one and a half year old. So obviously that's a that's been a, a huge, a huge uh, thing for me. I, I've always been a runner my whole life, uh, so and I, I started swimming about two years ago or three years ago with with uh, more regularity. I'm, I love swimming, so I, I I tend to I try to find ideally the thing that brings you joy should not be you know a two million dollar speedboat or you know a vacation house in the Swiss the Swiss Alps it should not be something that you have to work really really hard to have takes a long time to get to I think the Stoics would say like you know you want you want the things that bring you joy to be simple and accessible and there for you at sort of a moment's notice and so that's that's something I work on as well yeah I love that I'd love to hear what else are you working on within yourself at the moment or would like to improve within yourself at the moment you know we talked about time management I'm, I'm working on getting better at saying no it's sort of parsing good opportunities from great opportunities. That's something, you know, I think, uh, like all people, I'm always working on my temper and my anxiety, sort of very, two very natural things, uh, that I could certainly get better at. And then as a writer, I mean, I think, you know, there's a Hemingway line. He said, you know, we are all apprentices in a craft in which there is no master. And I think he meant that you never really get the hang of this thing, that it's always a struggle. And, um, so I'm just sort of sticking to it and trying to get better at it. I love that. We're always learning, always growing, always evolving. That's why we're here. Completely. I mean, it would be boring if that weren't true. Exactly. I'd love to hear now, if you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world, besides your amazing books, let's pretend they're already in the curriculum, what one book would you choose? Oh, that's easy. I, I do the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. 
Awesome. And we'll link to it in the show notes for anyone who hasn't read it. All right. I'd love to hear now your morning routine. How do you set yourself up for the day and prime yourself for a successful day? I actually just wrote an article about this. I used to be a very big routines person. uh, And then I sort of found that those routines were in some ways making me too rigid. And now I've tried to be more flexible. So I have a series of routines. So, you know, if I'm on the road, I have a routine. If I'm at home, I have a routine. If the baby wakes up early, I have a routine. If he sleeps in late, I have a routine. I have a handful that I can go to. But I generally, I try to get up early. I don't usually eat a big breakfast. I get right to work. I try to get as, uh, I, I usually go for a walk in the morning with my son, sort of get out in nature and get calm and peaceful. Then I get right into writing, try to get the writing done early. Uh, so then the rest of the day is for whatever comes up. Try not to schedule too many things uh, in the course of a day. And then I try to get some form of strenuous exercise in, usually in the afternoon or the early evening. Yeah, I love it. And then when you're on the road, that's different. Yeah, I might just, I'm going to try to do all those things, but I'm going to be willing to move the order around. So I'm not going to get anxiety that, oh, but my talk is at 7 a.m. And so if that's at 7 a.m., then how am I going to get to go for a walk or go for a run? You know, like I, I'm, I'm willing to be flexible. Um, and, and, and as long as I, I'm sticking to a, a series of routines again, but I'm not so set in stone about a singular routine. I remember reading one of your articles. I can't remember the name of it, but you were talking about the three things that we must do every day. And I believe there was exercise, a walk in nature, and I think the third one was meditation. Is that correct? I think I said exercise, read, and walk every single day. I think walking and exercise are two different things. Yeah, absolutely. They're completely different, but also reading. So why do you think this is so important? Well, I mean, look, reading is accessing the the sort of vast stores of human knowledge and wisdom. And I think it's insane that most people just try to wing it instead of trying to learn from the people that have lived before them. I know some people that haven't picked up a book in years, decades. And I would say rarely are those the smartest, most successful people that you know. Exactly. And they tend to usually be incredibly closed, like really closed, not open-minded, not open to different ideas or anything. Like I, I tend to come across these people who haven't read that are very, very shut off and closed to any idea. Totally. And I think that's what reading is. It's forcing you to think about something from someone else's perspective for an extended period of time. Another thing that I'm a massive fan of is gratitude. And I'd love to hear what are three things that you're most recently grateful for? Well, what the Stoic would say, they have this phrase, amor fati, which means the love of fate. The Stoic would say that you should just be grateful for everything because you don't have a choice, right? So to to be grateful for some things and not others is to act as if you get to choose, right? And, And the Stoic would say you don't. So I try to practice gratitude for everything, for the good things, for the bad things, for the success I've had, for failures that I've had, for for people I'm not a fan of, uh, for people who have hurt me, because these things make us who we are. And I know that sounds sort of glib, but ideally, we want to just have a general attitude of gratitude that we aim towards everything, particularly the things that we are, you know, in a way, the least grateful for. I love that. I 
really love that, you know, because I really promote, you know, saying what you're grateful for every single day. But, you know, it's something to really be mindful of is that we've got to really have gratitude for everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the warts, everything, you know, because it's all teaching us something. It is forcing us to grow and evolve, which, like I said before, is why we're here. I mean, I actually have a coin in my pocket that I had made and we sell them at, at dailystoic.com that actually says Amor, Amor Fati on, on the front. And it has this image of fire. The Stoics believe that fire, like whatever you throw in front of a fire is just consumed by the fire. And so this was their attitude that you just just sort of embrace and be made better and sort of leap up for everything that gets tossed at you. Love it. So important, something that we all need to be more mindful of. I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. All right. In your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health? Physical health. I mean, I think obviously exercise. I think for mental health, I think journaling uh, is one of the best things that you can do. I journal every single morning and every single evening. Love it. So simple. What about one of the most important things that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. The sort of stoic trick would be to simply want less. If you want to increase your wealth, decrease what your idea of wealth is and you already possess it. Yeah, I love that. And the last one is what is one of the most important things that we can do today for more love in our life? What's the Beatles line? You know, the, the love you, you take is equal to the love that you make. Uh, you know, the more, the more you put out there, the more you get back. Yeah, I love that. Yes, the more love we give, the more we get back. And the beautiful thing about love is it never runs out. There is an abundance of it. So, Ryan, is there anything else that you want to share or anything that you want to mention that maybe I haven't asked you that you'd love to share or leave with us today? I don't think so. I mean, look, my, my favorite thing that I'm doing right now, I write this sort of daily email about stoicism. You know, we started with like, I think 5,000 people and it's now like, you know, 120,000 people all over the world that get it every morning. And if people want to check it out, you just go to dailystoic.com. And it's sort of my favorite thing to write because I think we want to have some sort of thought uh, from from wise people that came before us to kick off every day and then to meditate on or journal about or just have a quiet moment of reflection about. I love that. And we'll link to that in the show notes so people can go and sign up for that. And before we go, I just wanted to personally thank you so much for not only this interview, but all of your books. The Obstacle is the Way is an amazing book. And for all of the articles that you write, they're just so great. And you're doing such amazing, beautiful work in the world. And I'm so grateful to have stumbled across your work many years ago. And I just wanted to thank you so much. But I'm a big believer in service. And I want to know how I personally and the listeners today can serve you. What can we do to serve you today? That, that's very nice. Uh, I mean, just by listening, you, you know, you've given me a platform. And if you want to check out my, my writing or my work, you can go to ryanholiday.net or, as I said, dailystoic.com. Awesome. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Thank you again so much, Ryan. This has been awesome. Your work is amazing. Keep going. I will.
I loved that conversation so much. I got so much out of it. And it's really inspired me to dive even deeper into the Stoic philosophy and to get really strict on my calendar. It has been such an inspiring episode. I got so much out of it. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 101. And you can also check out all my other episodes there too. And just a reminder, you can now order my second book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships, and Soulful Sex. All you have to do is head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And you can also get my free open wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. And that's at melissarambrosini.com forward slash open wide. So head there and grab the book and the free masterclass. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave me a review. And before I go, just wanted to say thank you so much for being here for wanting to be the best version of yourself possible and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. Take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them. Do whatever you have got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, Don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.